0: My name's John, I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and it's such a joy to get to worship Jesus here with you today, to get to share God's Word with you. We are in our final week of a series called Gathering Wood, and in this series we've been talking about revival, and the fact that revival is not something that we manufacture, it's not our work, it's God's work, but our job is to have hearts that are ready for God to move. When God chooses to move, that we're ready. We're saying, "Lord, here I am. Move in me." It's like if revival is like a a fire by the power of the Spirit coming down from heaven. We want to have hearts that are like kindling, that are ready to be set on fire uh, for God's glory. So we're we're gathering wood in that way. We're preparing our hearts for the work of God. We started off by talking about confession and repentance. Because this always precedes revival. You don't have revival without repentance. Repentance is when I'm going this way. I'm living my own way, not God's way, just doing things my way. And I feel that conviction from the Lord that I'm not doing the right thing. And so I repent, I about-face, and I head back the other way. I live the way that God's calling me to live. Secondly, we talked about the power of prayer and that since revival is God's work, that powerful prayers precede revival, and we should be praying and asking God to move in our hearts, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our world, and asking that the Lord would do just that. Then last week we heard an incredibly powerful message on holiness from Eric Wilson, our worship leader. Were you here for that? Yes. Wasn't that a blessing? I was blessed by it. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for our staff, for Eric um, and uh, so many others who just, they love Jesus, and they're so passionate about him. And just it was a word that blessed my heart, my life, uh, because we need to, we are called to holiness as God is holy. And remember, that's not legalism, okay? That's, it's not a legalistic thing. It's a relational thing. That, that I grow in holiness when I realize the fact that, that God loves me so much and God's ways are better than my ways. God's calls higher than what I would do. And so I want to dedicate my life to being more and more like Jesus. So when I feel the Spirit nudging me and convicting me and changing me, I, I want to keep on growing in that. And that's a lifelong journey. It's, it's like watching my heavenly Father and how he lives and, and wanting to live more and more like him. I wanna look more like dad. I wanna I wanna live like he lives. That's growth in holiness. And today we're going to talk about unity in the body of Christ. Because God calls us to God calls us to be united as a church. I mean we live in a world that's quite divided. We all are aware of that. If you're ever on social media or watch cable news, you're very aware of that. If not, well, your life is probably better off for missing some of those things sometimes. But we know that we live in a divided world. We get that. And Christians are called to a unity that is very, very different, very countercultural. It's not like what we see in, in the world around us. And why is this important? Well, because unity is attractive. Unity is an attractive thing. When... It, it, when we talk about the unity of the body of Christ, we're not talking about like an exclusive kind of unity, like a little holy huddle here, right? Like me and my little buddies, and we, we all get along, and we agree on everything, and so the rest of the world, eh, don't worry about them, we're good. We, we all think the same, we're united. That's not what we're talking about. That's, that's not Christian unity, okay? Our unity is something quite different than that. Our unity is centered around, because if, if it's about that, it's not going to be attainable anyways, because we're not going to agree on a whole lot of different things. There's so many things, again, in this world that divide us. I mean, one of the things I love about Anderson Hills is that we have such a strong history of having staff and key lay leadership who are united, who are mission-focused, who are moving forward in faith. And I, I am so thankful Uh, to get to step into a church that has that kind of culture. I'm thankful for Pastor Mark Rowland and uh, for Pastor Mark Putman and others and their involvement in making that happen because God uses them and has used so many of you in this church to build this kind of culture that helps us to not argue about the stupid stuff but to focus on the stuff that really matters, to focus on the mission. Because if we're going to be divided around little stuff, we can do that all day, right? Anybody can divide. It's a lot harder to unite. Anybody can divide, right? I I, I can make that happen here in like 30 seconds, right? For example, right, in your house, what would it be here? Over or under? Exactly, right? We're already laughing because we know, right? Or another one that gets big controversy here, up or down, right? Mm, Better have that one, right? And finally, maybe biggest of all, pineapple on pizza. Oh, boy. This could be divisive, right? You know, you gotta, and so we've got division already, right, and by the way, you gotta know the right answers for your household, right? In my house, it's clear the correct answers are over, down, and hard pass. We can fight later, I know, you're probably mad at me at least about one of those. It's easy to divide. It's easy to divide. And if unity means agreeing on all the small stuff, we're never going to be united. But when we talk about Christian unity, we're talking about something much bigger, much deeper. Let me share with you the basis of it. Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. He's, he's right here in the 24 hours before his death on the cross. And the book of John gives us a whole six chapters, just about that 24 hours, John is like Jesus' best friend here on earth, and he, and he zooms in to these, these last few moments that Jesus has with his disciples because they are so important. And the things that Jesus said and did are so impactful. So he gathers them together in the upper room, and there uh, they, Jesus washes their feet. He serves them. He sets a model for how they're going to treat one another, how we should be treating each other and treating the world for generations to come. Then he gives them this this gift, this sacred sacrament of Holy Communion that we're going to celebrate here in a little bit today. And he says, do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. So we do this and we remember Jesus' sacrifice. We even are participating in his sacrifice. It's this special channel of grace, this special gift of God he gives us. And then before they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, he teaches a little more and then he prays. And he prays a very extended prayer. I'm not going to read all of it today, but I invite you to read it. It's in John 17. We call it Jesus' high priestly prayer because it, Jesus is functioning as our high priest, meaning that in the Old Testament, the priest would go and offer sacrifices for sins on behalf of the people. Well, that's what Jesus is going to do, but instead of offering a lamb or, or a bull or something like that, he's going to offer the perfect sacrifice. Himself. He's going to give His life willingly for you and me, because Jesus, who had never sinned, becomes sin for you and me, that we can take on, that He took on our sin, and He took this to the cross, and He paid the price that we could never pay. This is what Jesus does for us. And so, Jesus, in this prayer, He sets a standard of unity for us. And let me just tell you, spoiler alert, it's crazy high, okay? Jesus' standard of unity is crazy high. It's something that when you hear it, you're going to say, oh, I I don't know. I don't know if I can possibly do that. But hear what he prays for us. John 17, verse 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Get that? So he prayed for the twelve. But he also prayed for you and for me, that you were on Jesus' heart in this very moment. And here's what he prayed. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Wow. We're called to be one. And not just to be one, but to be one like the Father and the Son are one. I told you that's crazy high. I mean, that if that standard doesn't creep you out a little bit, you're not thinking it through. Like, like Jesus is praying that we would be as unified as, as the Trinity, right? Like, what do you think comes between God the Father and God the Son? I'm going to guess nothing, right? I don't think they sit around up in heaven debating dumb stuff all day, I mean, you really think they're up there, and God's like, "We did not create the pineapple to go on the pizza," and Jesus is like, "Well, but you did give them free will. I mean, you should have thought that through." Pineapple, I don't know. No, that's not the Father and Son, right? So he prays we'd have this this incredibly high standard of unity that we would be one. So what? Does this mean? I mean, you might be looking at your neighbor and be like, "I got to be one with that person, like Jesus and the Father." What? Like this is not. If they're shaking their head, I know it's awkward right now. I get that. But you might say, "Hey, I I can't be one with my neighbor, right? I mean, my neighbor cheers for for Pittsburgh, right? You know, or or the team up north. Like that's not going to be possible. How am I going to do that, right?" My neighbor likes cats. Oh, my gosh. Like, how's that going to happen, right? Or my neighbor, you know, is a Republican. My neighbor is a Democrat. My neighbor is something else. My neighbor is fill in the blank with whatever things you care about. If it's going to be about being the same, thinking the same, this is just seems nonsensical. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, whenever we receive New members in the congregation. One of the vows that they take is to protect the unity of this church. And we tell you the same thing every time we say these vows. We say that unity is not uniformity, okay? Unity is not uniformity. They're not going to think the same as you on every single thing. Unity is not the same as uniformity. What unity means is that we are one in our mission. We are one in what we are called to do. And we be. And so how do we figure that out? Well, that goes right back to Scripture, right? Because it's not going to be about agreeing with John on everything. You're not going to agree with John on everything. My family's here. They don't agree with me on everything. So if they don't, you're not, right? It's, it's not a church of personality. It's not a church of, of anything like that. It's the Bible. God's Word is our standard, it has been our standard for generations. It will be continuing to be our standard for, for until Jesus comes back, for generations to come. So it begins there, and our unity at its core comes from our shared mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's where our unity comes from. Our unity comes from our shared mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ, that when a church is all in on this, When we say, nothing matters more than this. So, yeah, we're going to have little things that we may not see eye to eye on or whatever, but nothing matters more than this. I'm not letting anything get in the way of that. I'm going to be united with my brothers and sisters because this is so central. We understand then that God has called us to something so much deeper, so much more impactful than any little worldly debate that we could find ourselves in let's just let's just make this this real practical here for a bit um we we talked this morning jamie shared with us about about children's ministry right and about our, our opportunity there to serve and our need for more people to serve there. And I heard a podcast last week that was incredibly interesting. There's a guy by the name of Warren Bird, who's kind of like the statistical expert on the church today. And Warren was talking about how when, uh, when COVID first hit, it was such a shock to, of course, our entire world, and the church was part of that. I wasn't here at Anderson Hills yet, but, but we went through similar things here that, that I went through at, at the church I was serving um, in Dayton. And when we first had to shut down, uh, you know, suddenly you couldn't, you know, the church is typically, say, we're the body of Christ, right? And so we're all here serving together, and it's not about the pastors. It's not about the staff, right? We're, we're just part of it. Yes, we have a role. We're, we're called to lead um, and we're able to dedicate a lot more time because we don't have to have jobs outside of here. But, but it's not all about us. It's about all about the body of Christ serving together. But when the shutdown happened, we all had to, well, you know, shut down. And suddenly it became the staff and pastors that had to do everything because that was kind of your only option. And then I'm just speaking about my church up in Dayton. When, as we reopened, it was tough and it was complicated because everything was upsy downsy and it was always changing from like week to week. And we'd make big plans for three weeks from now and then we'd scrap them all the next week and try something different. And it was, it was a mess. And we were, and so functionally, so much of the, the world still in the church was still revolving around the staff because we were covering most things uh, because that was just necessary at the time. Well, as things have come back, the church has changed, and we're getting we're um, we're, we're um, engaging in serving in different ways, and all these kinds of things. But what Warren said is that statistically, the church has not recovered to being the body of Christ that we are called to be. That we're on our way there, but we've still got a ways to go. Even though twenty twenty is quite a long ways in the rear view, that that we are that we're called to be the body of Christ, everyone's serving together, yet it becomes easy to say, oh, we should hire somebody to do that. Oh, that one, yeah, we could have a staff member do that. Yeah, well, why don't we, we, let's just have staff do that one. And that's, that's, it's a tragedy. Not because of finance, but because of function, friends, because the church, we are all the body of Christ, not just staff members, Right? So we, in a church the size of Anderson Hills, use staff because you need to do that. Uh, we have several staff members who work in children's ministry. Um, we have Lauren, two assistants, and then Becky in the um, in preschool there, or Sandy. I said Becky. That's a that's a long ways back in my brain. Sorry, uh, Sandy in the preschool. So we have uh, we have four staff there, but if you've been back there, you know, four staffs not going to get it done. Uh, that this is going to be uh, the work of a whole lot of people because we're blessed to have a whole lot of kids. And as Jamie said, we're growing. It's really exciting to see 120 ki- kids more in attendance in first quarter versus first quarter last year. That's awesome. I believe it's only beginning, though. It's only beginning because this is our mission. This is why God put a church here is, is to reach new young families for Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, we are blessed to be here in Anderson Township, which is hands down one of the best places in Cincinnati to come and raise your family. I may be biased, but I'm pretty sure that's true. And so it's not a surprise that we're getting more and more families with kids coming through our doors, and we're asking that God would send more and more and more of them to us because this is why we're here, church. We're here to help them come to know the love of Jesus, to experience the love of Jesus. And that's going to be all of us as a church working together on this thing. When Lauren came to me with this idea of, of, ask, of asking for 30 people to serve twice a month, which is, what, a little over two hours in a month total. And she said, what do you think about this? Is it too much Is whatnot? I said, no. So we should be able, church, we should be able to knock this thing out in a week. I mean that. I mean, look around, Look at this church, right? You know, this is the third time I've given this message this morning, and Pastor Jonathan has given his own version of this message, right? Like, we it's not for lack of people. Like, we have the capability of doing this. And you might say, oh, I don't know if I, uh, if I fit the profile of exactly what a children's worker should be. Well, when I was a youth pastor in Piqua, we had this after-school program. And it had, um, we, we like here, we were located right beside a school. Um, we, had, we had a big gym. And we would open that up a couple times a week after school. And, <coughs> and we would receive um, a whole lot of junior high and high school kits. I remember one Tuesday afternoon, it was a junior high only day, and we had like 120 junior hires, which was one out of every eight in the school. And if you've never been with 120 junior hires and five adults, life-changing experience let me tell you (laughs) and so we needed of course more and more people to be serving but it's really hard to get people to serve from 2 30 to 4 p.m. on weekdays right a lot of people have jobs at that time of day we had one servant his his name was Bob and Bob was like 85 years old and Bob signed up to serve here uh, with junior high and high school students now, that's not exactly the stereotypical youth worker, right? <laughs> I mean, Bob, I remember, you know, he would come and he would, he would help out and he would serve food. That was kind of his, his role there. And it was funny because when ki- I would stand at the door and I would greet the kids as they came in and uh, there were a bunch of them, and I mean like tens of them, who would come and be like, oh, hey, John, and they would run to Bob. And they're like, Bob, blah, 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 they want to talk to Bob, they want to tell him stories, they want to tell him what's going on in their life and all this stuff, like, Bob doesn't there's there's nothing cool about Bob, right? Like like I was 25, right? I think I was still a little bit, just a little bit cool at the time, right? I I you know, could go play basketball with him. Bob would break a hip if he was trying to play basketball with him. Like, you know, but they loved Bob so much. Why? Because Bob was just Bob. He loved Jesus and he loved those kids so very much. Bob was the only grandpa some of those kids had. Some of them were from broken homes where they never got to see grandparents. And Bob was that to them. And Jesus used Bob in so many ways. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that when Jesus called Bob to serve with teenagers, that Bob didn't say, "Uh, I don't know anything about texting. (laughs) I don't know anything about this, that, or whatever. No, he just showed up and said, here I am, Lord, use me. And really, that's all that we're ever doing when we're serving. I mean, if you go to serve Jesus and you feel like you have all the expertise needed, you're wrong, my friend. None of us have it all. It's a matter of growth week in and week out. And so, this is, this is it all relates to unity, friends, because this is what Jesus' unity is all about. When the church says, there's nothing more important than making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I'm, I'm all in for that. And so, yeah, if they, if they need me to serve twice a week, or twice a week, twice a month in children's, I'm stepping it up. If they, they need me to serve twice a month in children's, I'm in, right? Because, because God can use me, and I'm going to trust that he used me. If you genuinely hate children, okay, go up, sign up for that, and say, I hate children. And you'll find yourself signed up to be a greeter somewhere else next week. I promise. We'll work it out. But seriously, I challenge you to consider this because I don't want us to be a church that gets stuck in kind of 2020, 2021 kind of thinking, right? Of like, oh, we'll just staff everything. That's not the church. That's not who we're going to be, Anderson Hills. We, 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 are called, we are called to be the church that is serving. I'm so passionate about this. And l- let me tell you a story to kind of illustrate why. There was This is decades ago. There was a family who came to a church very much like Anderson Hills, a church of about 1,000, um, United Methodist Church. Um, so it was a church with similar roots and background of ours. And um, the, there was a, a couple who came in um, who had just had their first child not a long time ago. And this couple, they, they, didn't, um, they weren't walking with the Lord. They had, had grown up um, in church to some degree, but, in early twenties and thirties had had really kind of stepped away and had um just we we're, were living lives that weren't really very aligned uh with jesus call and were just kind of doing their own thing just a normal fa- normal couple um but they had the 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 lady had a friend who had been inviting her to go to church, and the friend was pretty persistent in this invitation and so and the Lady was making excuses about why not to go, and she said, "Well, I don't, I don't like church. Oh, I don't you like church. Well, I don't like church because they always talk about money." And the lady said, "Well, we're in a three-week or four-week series right now on money, so I'm going to invite you uh, in another month. Don't come right now." So a month goes by. Sure enough, she invites. So they go to this church just simply to get the lady to shut up, right? To stop bugging them and pestering them. And, and they go into this church, and uh, they they take their their young child. And this 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 baby had uh, had colic, and uh, so they didn't get a lot of peace and quiet because the baby was often unhappy. But the nursery, they were more than happy to, to take this baby. And so mom and dad, they they felt good about the nursery. They went in and they they sat down there in the in the sanctuary, and. They heard, they heard beautiful music uh, from, from the choir and other people who volunteered there. Um, they heard uh, the word of the Lord preached. They heard lots of good things, and, and, and they kind of liked it. And they especially liked the fact that they got a break from their child as well. It was not all a bad thing. And uh, so they, they came back, and uh, they came back again, and eventually it kind of became a habit for them. And they started to, to make some friends there and to get involved in a few things. Eventually they would take Disciple Bible a class that we offer here that was taught by a, a layperson in that church, and they would begin to to reconnect with, with God's Word through this class and be, it would begin to be transformative in their lives. They would then, <clears throat> in time um, the, their kids would grow, and they'd eventually been in Miss Ellen's class there in, in the preschool, I mean sorry, in the nursery like like Sandy does here. And then eventually it would move up to, to Miss Barb's class at like, you know, the preschool age there. And Miss Barb just loved on all the kids so much. And the kids, they, they loved this coming to this place because it was just so fun. And they, and they shared about Jesus. And then as the kids got a little bit older in third grade, they, they got their Bibles, right? Because, well, that church didn't give out as many Bibles as we do. We give you a Bible like every other year, I think, in children's ministry. And, um, but, but. Kids got these Bibles and they, they went home and actually read them because they were taught to do so in Sunday school. And they got little stars up by their name on the wall when they would read the Bible. And, uh, and God began to use that in, in the kids' lives to be transformative. And then uh, they move up another grade, and, and the, uh, the teacher um, was uh, Mr. Butler. And Mr. Butler was, he was hilarious, and and he had a way of conveying God's Word. It was just so fun and so relevant to that age of elementary school, and he'd he'd make stupid fart jokes and stuff like this. Kids just loved it. It was awesome, right? But he had a way of, like, tying it all in, like, and, and helping them with that, and then couple years go by and, and they got to sixth grade it was uh, mr. Bridgewater's class and mr. Bridgewater I don't, I don't know who, who put him in charge in children's ministry because he shouldn't really have been there um, he he told the kids they were too old for the curriculum and so he brought in VHS tapes of the Wonder years and <laughs> kids thought that was amazing right but he had his little way they'd watch this TV show and then he would weave in biblical lessons through that TV show that for some reason he loved so much, and, and then the kids got into, into junior high, and they went to, to this youth group, and, uh, and the, the people just loved them so much. It was a, a love that you just can't explain by normal human standards. Why, why would these adults, just like here at this church, why would these adults give all their time to hang out with junior hires and high schoolers, to, to take them on mission trips, to, to share with them about Jesus, and to model what a real Christian looks like. Because you see in these kids' families, mom and dad didn't get along, and um, marriage wasn't really strong. and And this church, It changed me. It changed me. Because when I saw Jesus through all these people who loved and served, it literally shaped my life. And I don't know who I would be without those people. I had decided that I would never get married because it looked dumb didn't want that. And, and it wasn't until I encountered those people in my youth group, those, my youth pastor and, and a bunch of other volunteers that I saw what a real Christian marriage looked like. And it wasn't dumb at all. It was a beautiful thing. And that God could use it in powerful ways. And I, and I saw faith lived out over and over and over. See, church, all those people I just told you about, they're they're real people. And I'm sure there's lots of stuff they didn't agree upon. But I didn't know about any of that. I just knew that they loved me, and they loved Jesus. And they wanted me to love Jesus. And they wanted to show Jesus to me. And that's why our unity is so important, friends. Because God wants to use you in that same kind of way. God wants to use you because there's going to be some kid someday coming into this church who's going to be telling the same kind of stories and they're going to list your names in those places and if you heard them telling about it you'd say oh, it, it wasn't anything big i just I just served a couple hours a month i just I just showed up and uh, I don't know it wasn't really that much, but did the kid who brought the The loaves and fish, did he bring much? It was Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's Jesus that takes these simple gifts that we bring. When we put our lives before him and we say, Jesus, here I am, use me. If you put me in a group of junior hires, if you put me with a baby, if you put me in in a children's ministry or wherever it is, use me. I just want to be used for you. Because making new disciples of you is more important than anything else in this world. And I want to be invested in that. Friends, Jesus does that. And church, I believe that God calls us to be a body who's who's one, like the Father and the Son are one, to be all in on this mission because there's no greater mission. And I believe that as we grow in faithfulness to do that, that God is going to continue to bring people to us who need to know the love of Jesus because we're surrounded by them. There's thousands of them at home right this moment within a very short drive of this place who need that invitation like somebody gave my mom, and you might be able to give it. And they need somebody to be there for their kids, and you might be that person. And they need somebody to... Be there for their junior hires and to be there teaching the disciple Bible and to be there in the Stevens ministry and all these kinds of things. And you may be that person. So when we invite you to scan a QR code and sign up for something, it's not just filling spots, friend. It's changing lives. And I believe in it as much as I believe in anything else. So, Jesus, I pray that you would make us one. One with you one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Because you came and gave your life for us while we were yet sinners. You died for us. You paid the price. But not just for those of us here in this room. You did it for the whole world. And you've given us this message, and you've given us this call that that we are to be your ambassadors in the world, And Lord, I thank you for a church full of people who does that in so many ways, and I pray that you would grow us even more in that same work. I pray that you would call us into serving you, that you would call us into roles where lives will be changed and change us too, God. Here we are. I thank you that you loved us so much that you gave yourself for us, Jesus. We love you, and we pray this in your holy name, amen.